if we'd have started focusing on revenue from the outset, we wouldn't have built a, a solution to the mental health crisis. We'd have built some kind of product that you know could be sold and made money, but that wouldn't have satisfied the problem that we're trying to tackle. Welcome to SheEO.World podcast, where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are listening. This is the CEO World Podcast, and my name is Joanna Denton. I'm a UK activator for the last 18 months. I'm an executive coach working with stressed out and exhausted executive and entrepreneurs, helping them get their life back and a bit of work-life balance before they crash and burn. But that's not why I'm here today. I'm here today to speak to Shustin Comley from UK Venture Me Too Education. And I am delighted to see you today. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. Oh, you're very welcome. It's very good to be here. Now, if I go on to the, the venture platform and look up about, your, about the company, this is what it says. We develop and deliver safe, evidenced digital peer support apps to enable young people with mental health issues help themselves and help each other. Now, I know a little bit about the company having looked up um, around it, but for those who are listening who might not know what you're doing, can I ask you to explain a little bit more about the venture, what problem you're solving, how you got here, all of that sort of thing? Sure, yeah. So I think everybody feels they know that mental health is in crisis and you know unfortunately covid has only made that worse and particularly youth mental health is is really struggling and that's not just in the uk actually that's you know that's that's all across the world the who even before covid recognized poor mental health as being one of the leading disabilities worldwide so when i met my co-founder as a Susie Godson, she's a research psychologist and a journalist, and my background is in engineering and tech. We felt that we wanted to create a solution. And she had this really brilliant idea that one of the big challenges for young people is it's really hard to find a space to ask those awkward and difficult questions. And I'm sure we can all remember being that awkward 14-year-old with those things that were worrying us and not knowing who to turn to. And that's coupled with some really interesting work looking at the, the way that teenage brains work. A number of researchers working on this, but in particular, Sarah J. Blakemore, who's now at Cambridge University. And what's very clear is that in that period of adolescence, young people actually trust other young people more than they trust adults or experts. And as well as that, they all have a smartphone in their pocket. So Susie's initial idea was to create an app where young people could anonymously ask those really tricky questions and get advice and support from other young people who would know exactly what they're going through. And, and who better to talk to a 14-year-old about what it's like to have had their first breakup from their first major relationship than a 15-year-old who remembers going through it. And there's a big difficulty with adults that I think we, we tend to forget what it was really like. We felt that this was a really great solution and we also felt that it was a solution going to be scalable. So one of the big problems, not just in the UK, but very differently for the UK, is that the mental health support systems, so for example, the Child Mental Health Service CAMS uh, and all of those systems around them, are pretty much based on crisis care. So somebody has to be really ill before they get the support that they need. 
And one of the reasons for that is because it is so hard to scale one-to-one -one, uh, interaction and inter intervention. And so there's a limited amount of resource and support that can be delivered. And so, you know, they inevitably have to have to keep it to those people who are at the, at the sort of most severe and, and significant end of, of poor mental health. But of course, the beauty with peer support is that every new person community effectively becomes a new person to offer advice or counseling. So it's potentially infinitely scalable. And that really excited us that we could actually start bring the problem back to the early intervention space and be working with young people to prevent their issues from escalating rather than only tackling it when problems became really severe. So back in 2015, we founded the company and we spent the first two years doing a lot of research. The both of us are, are, are geeks at heart. <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're really sort of interested in, in research everything we do is backed up by evidence we, you know we, we dig into the acad academia and so we actually created a pilot that we ran in three schools really interesting learned learned a lot from that little pilot learned that you know this was a service that was really going to be appreciated and needed but it was a service that young people wanted to have in their own private personal space and and that was another Another reason for, at that point, it was a web-based product, but we quickly switched to becoming, making it an app that they could download from the app or the Play Store. They can have it on their phone at any moment. You know, we see the heaviest levels of usage actually in, in the evenings, often quite late evenings, young people being on their own. And so, yeah, it's been a pretty incredible six years. We launched the app in 2017. Since then, we've had over 65,000 young people have accessed it and used it. And currently we see around 6,000 people using it on a monthly basis. So the first thing that comes into my mind is in terms of peer support and one-to-one, -one, as an interested observer, my first thought was, oh, well, what about training? Well, what happens if they say the wrong thing? And, and you know, well, surely that's just open to disaster. And I, you know, I know that, so one of the words that I find to be really, really important in that description is safe. So how, how do you go about curating the content or supervising the content? Or do you, is this, or is this just a kind of a free, a free for all of it? Absolutely. And I think although we didn't, it, it wasn't a deliberate decision. The fact that we have chosen to work with children means that we have been obliged to create the safest system that we can. And so as we move into the adult space, we've got this system that is so much more robust and safe than, than anything we can see on that's similar. And so a, a critical thing for, for this is pre-moderation. So this means checking everything before it goes live. So we have a team of moderators who work throughout the day to look at every single post and every single reply. And initially we thought, oh, you know, their main role is going to be to, to get, get rid of the haters, the trolls and all that, you know, all the horrible people you see on, on other on social media. Mm. In fact, actually, because the community is so positive, because everybody knows everything's going to be checked, very few people write anything unpleasant. But what we have found is that people come to us with very complex and severe problems, problems that are too difficult for a peer community to respond to. So the vast majority, 90% of the posts that get made, the questions that get asked, are things that can be answered by another young person. And that ranges from really minor stuff like, hey, I've run out of good music to listen to, what would you recommend? Or I'm gonna get my braces fitted tomorrow and I'm a bit nervous right through to much more difficult issues, say around eating disorders or self-harm. And um, we can come back and talk about that in a minute. But 
So they can all go through to the community. So the moderators will check them, they will risk assess them, put them through to the community. But there are certain things that can't. And the most common is the um, discussions around suicide or suicidal ideation. So in fact, anything that's too severe for the peer community gets redirected. We have a small team of in-house counsellors who will respond directly to that young person and work with them to identify what the next best step is for them. Now, we're, we're very clear we are not a counselling platform. So although our counsellors all have a background in counselling, they don't provide counselling, but what they're providing is that conversation with that young person to help them unwrap that problem and figure out what is the next best thing. Now, quite often, 50% of the time, that I want to die post is because they something's happened and they're using language, we use it all the time, to express an emotion, they don't actually have any suicidal intention. But, in, but even in, in the conversation that the counsellor will have with them, let's say they've had an argument with their best friend, the counsellor can tease that out of them, they can then go back to the community and actually talk about the problem they've got and get the support on how to resolve that. The other 50% of the time, it is more serious. And so we would then be encouraging them to have conversations with their relatives, with their school, maybe connecting to their to, to a, a crisis helpline or, you know, or talking to the GP and, and just really advocating for them in a way and, and giving them the agency to know how to take the steps that they need to take to, to really address the issues that they've, they've got in that moment. The other thing that we do that, that works really well for us is we train undergraduate psychology students to be super peers and so they are in the app, you wouldn't know them any different from anybody else, but they are in the app making sure that nobody gets left out and making sure that everybody gets um, high you know high quality replies and they only reply to about 15 percent you know 15 percent of the content comes from the super peers but it's enough to provide model replies that other young people can can respond to the other thing we do which which actually doesn't really impact safety because everything is moderated but we also but the app is age banded so if if you're under the age of 18 you only get to see posts from people who are either two years older or two years younger than you. And so that means that you're talking with a group of people who is sharing a similar set of experiences. And that just makes the feed and the post that much more relevant to, to each, each person. Over the age of 18, it's sort of all together. Although as the app is growing, we're exploring different ways that we might segment the adult space as well. Just going back to those complex situations and that, that kind of conversation that happens, is that a conversation that actually takes place pick up the phone, talk to the peer, or is it still through the platform, you know, by texting each other and, and so on? It's all text. I mean, it, it feels like social media. We, we've deliberately designed the whole app to feel like social media because that's where young people like to hang out. It's where they feel comfortable. But the fact that everything, even the replies are checked before it goes live and we have this whole, whole counsellor system means obviously it, it isn't social media at all. And it's quite interesting as well that, that the it adds it's a, it creates a different dynamic because what we often see is the fact that somebody posts and wait for a reply does provide in a certain time amount of time for reflection as well and our counsellors are very aware of this and they may even sometimes they'll respond quickly they can see that that's needed sometimes they might deliberately slow the conversation down a bit which you know so we're able to sort of adapt and we also know that that young people in particular really really struggle with uh, telephone calls <laughs> you know they want to be using text they don't like 
picking up the phone. In fact, what, what we've heard anecdotally from quite a few of the mental health providers that we work with is that during lockdown, lots of young people struggled with video calls as well. They, they really like going in and meeting somebody face to face, but the video bit was that, that more daunting and impersonal for them. So it's kind of either together face to face or text based is, is what young people like best. That's so interesting to, to, to kind of think about that in terms of the, you know, the way that's been developing. And I'm thinking in particular, because you, you mentioned, you've mentioned a couple of times getting into the adult space and kind of segmenting that out. And I'm wondering, is there a fundamentally different approach that you're taking in the adult space or are they, are they essentially just young adults that they were only a teenager last year? Yes, our priority since we launched has been to focus on 11 to 25. So that's what we would classify as young people. But we are seeing usage above 25 and are also doing quite a lot of work at the moment to support trainee teachers, who, who the majority of whom are in that sort of yeah, early 20s bracket. But I think, yeah, it's a bit early to be to be conclusive, but I think we, we do think we're seeing slightly different behaviour in the adult space. We've tried to be as comprehensive as we can because we, we can see all sorts of things that could improve somebody's mental health. There are great services, charities, you know, the, the, the classic ones, but there are also apps and videos and books and we're finding that the adults really seem to value that that directory of resources and the fact that they can filter it so that it, you know if they're, if they're struggling with anxiety they can filter it by anxiety and so we suspect that there may be fewer conversations happening you know that the younger you are the more there's the more chatter there is and it's looking like in the adult space it, it's it's a bit slower I guess people are are able also to search through posts and find a post that is relevant to them and they don't therefore need to post. So we're still monitoring that, but we, you know, we can see that there's just as much potential in the adult space as there, there is in the, the youth space. The other thing that we've, we've very deliberately designed um, is that the posts are only 350 characters long. So a bit like a tweet in a way. And what's interesting, we, we did that, we, we saw lots of forums where you can, you have unlimited words. And it's actually really difficult to offer somebody support when they when they prefer both description of their problem, whereas by by encouraging people to be succinct, it makes it much easier for other people to offer that support, the support and get to the heart of the problem. And we get lots of pushback from our users because they want to tell us their life story and we have to explain. But, you know, if you want if you want good support, you have to really clear about your problem and they, they tend to they tend to understand that in the end but you know so so we you know we we are playing and testing ev with every aspect of the design of the app everything we do another example is um like social media there are some little buttons you can click on but unlike social media we've thought really carefully about how those little buttons or icons will affect a person's mental health and so we only have two we have the me too button which is where it all started from and so that's how you can show empathy for another person's post so when you click it it says me too oh my god the same i feel the same so it's it's that sense of shared um you know shared experience empathy you know, normalization of a problem and then in the replies section uh, you can click on a thank you that helped me and that actually is a, a measure that we can use to monitor the impact of what we're doing but again we've thought really carefully about what those icons what they should look like how they should feel how can that contribute to better mental health that's fascinating I, I, 
I wrote down the word normalization of the problem. Maybe just as a, as a, as a final comment or note on the venture, this idea of normalizing the problem, talking about the problem. You said that you, you did the, the, the app launched in 2017. Before that, there was the pilot. So that's, you know, that's a number of years that it's been going. Have you seen any kind of progression in how, how the users are able to articulate the, the problem or the emotion? Has that evolved in any way in kind of conjunction with evolving curriculums and, and education systems, you know, within the schools about this side of things? You know, we, we started just before the Royal Foundation started their Heads Together campaign, and that was all about raising an awareness. It, it, we, we still think that there is a lack of focus on solutions in the markets. You know, there's, there's probably still more awareness raising that needs to be done. And, you know, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. But we've, you know, we've, we've always felt we don't want to be just about getting you know raising awareness we want to be about sol solving the problem and I think certainly what we have seen over the over the years that we've been doing it is a greater willingness to to put put solutions in place interesting I think schools are ahead of universities still on this our feeling is that universities are still ticking boxes quite a lot and struggling because their counseling services are overrun but they, they still don't seem to be taking as, as proactive a step and I think young people themselves are much more open to the idea that it's okay to talk about talk about mental health and in some ways we're already now pushing into more more detailed boundaries things like discussion around consent or sexual harassment or gender you know some of those some of those the, the more detailed the, the underlying topics rather than just thinking about mental health generally you know there's there are still taboos and and stigma to, to be broken down there as well um but in a way that's progression yeah and, and i really think it's kind of in in providing these skills and tackling these subjects now that we we can change lives and we can change the world i mean i'm I'm coming to this with the, my background is burnout. You know, I, I worked in tax. I had two burnouts in five years. And now what I'm seeing is, you know, it, I'm, I'm working to break down those stigmas around burnout and mental health in the workplace. And I think a big part of the issue is that, you know, our generation, we never knew it was okay to talk about this or ask for something more. So the work that you're doing by giving this platform and, and the work that schools are doing to kind of educate around this this is providing the fine you know foundations for these future for future generations to have the skills to to cope with these difficult situations and you know even the fact i mean you, you mentioned some of the quote unquote less serious aspects of or well i'm not quite sure what music to listen to or you know i've just fallen out with my best mate even the fact of for me that's almost a gateway you know if you're if you're there you're asking for help because they don't have any music and it might seem trivial but you're asking you're you're reaching out to your community to ask for help on that so the next time when it's something more quote unquote more serious and even there I, I hesitate to use the word serious who are we to decide whether this is serious or not but I, I mean that from somebody outside looking in we we can't you're giving you're giving a vocabulary, you're giving a skill set, you're giving that capacity to be very clear on, and identify what their problem is. And this is going to hold them in such good stead for the future. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal, this. I mean, that, that's certainly what we're hoping. And I mean, there, there, there's some really, there's some really interesting research to, too that I think are kind of relevant. The 
first is that you know the more the more that little children can be encouraged to take take a few risks in the playground or you know be a little bit more independent from their parents and yet have the support when something goes wrong to 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 help them get over it the more resilient and the stronger they are when they get older and then there's some some similar some analogous research that shows that people who have experienced really significant trauma that the most critical thing is is the quality of the support that they get afterwards because if that's if that's really good and helps and, and you know high quality actually again it helps and obviously not get over that that in, in immediate instance that's happened but it gives them the skills and the confidence to face issues in the future and i mean I ju i'm just very struck by the conversations that happen on the app it's it's so easy as an adult to forget that that young people are going through all of these things for the first time and if you've never been through something for the first time it's not surprising you don't have to deal with it <laughs> so if you've had some major argument with your best friend and you've never had an argument before with a friend that that is quite significant for them or you know your your parents are divorcing and you haven't seen anybody else around you have that same experience that again you know these things are really significant to young people we also see that a lot of people even you know a, a young person may have a really solid group but that doesn't mean to say that the friends in their group have got that particular issue or experience that they're going through and so it's just wonderful we can see in the back end that that young person in Somerset is connecting to that young person in Leeds and they're having a conversation about something that's going on for them that may not be relevant to any of the, their immediate real world peers and so by making those connections in this very safe environment it, it allows people to, to get all of that support and access they need. 16% of our users have autism, which, you know, we, we find is extraordinary. You know, we haven't set out to particularly support young people with autism or, you know, or people who are neurodiverse. And yet they are finding this platform to connect with other people who, who have a similar, you know, who are facing similar life issues. I mean, you know, I could give you lots of other stats like that, but, you know, that, that one we're very proud of. Mind blown. No, this is this is phenomenal. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing all of that about about the venture. I was wondering, can we have a little? Can we talk a little bit about the other side of this conversation, which is your involvement within CEO, your involvement as an entrepreneur? I mean, first of all, your journey as an entrepreneur. So what I what I heard was your background is engineering, and I and I I also heard very clear steps that you've been taking in the development of the venture. In other words starting in 2015, those first two years of research, doing the pilot with the three skill, the, the three schools on that web-based platform, and then learning from there that they wanted it into the personal space with the app and launching that in 2017 and, and all, all of the things that have come since then. I suppose my, my question on this is if there's someone listening that is thinking about using technology in a, in a new way to bring a solution out there, what would be your best advice to them for their first next steps in terms of getting that going? I, I think, and I don't know, I don't know whether it's I'm biased because I'm an engineer, but for me, the most important thing is to understand the problem. 
and you know there's loads of brilliance I mean I you know I, I, we, we joke Susie and I joke sometimes that you know we we followed a textbook you know the lean lean startup methodology or or something like that you know you know we literally have gone through step by step and uh, we didn't know each other before you know before we started the venture we met each other we met each other at a trampolining lesson which our daughters were attending and about three weeks into it with us sat bored you know workaholics sitting on the side having to wait for our daughters to finish their course she said oh I've got this little idea what you, could I could I run it by you so in, in a way I think that was a really it was useful that we didn't know each other and we spent those first years uh, learning about each other and figuring out if we could work together as much as we did about the problem and obviously we, we are friends now but I think it's it's been useful that we didn't we didn't have any history between us I think that's been very important but yeah, for, for me, it, it's very much about what understanding the problem. Is the problem important enough? Is it strong enough? You know, there's loads of stuff out there about product market fit. And you, I mean, we're still trying to figure it out now. You know, we're still coming back to, to you know, as, as the business grows, tackling each, you know, what is it we're actually trying to solve here? Because if, if that's not clear, you know, everybody can have an idea, idea, you know, ideas coming, you know, one a minute, but, but if there isn't, if you don't really understand what it is you're trying to solve, the solution won't fit, the, you know, the market won't be interested and so on. I mean, I think we're also, we're quite unusual because we, when we set out, it was a, it was a purely altruistic vision that we had. And it was just about how can we make a difference to the lives of young people? And so we are very we have always been an impactless business we we decided not to be a charity for all sorts of reasons but we we were definitely an impact-led business but it's meant that we've had to figure out the revenue generation side later quite unusual and i think lots of people are a bit by that because it that doesn't fit the standard textbook model for an entrepreneur building a business but you know, in our case, it was the thing that was needed for the problem. If we'd have started focusing on revenue from the outset, we wouldn't have built a, a solution to the mental health crisis. We'd have we'd have built some kind of product that you know could be sold and made money. That that that, but that wouldn't have satisfied the you know the the problem that we're 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 trying to tackle, which is you know youth mental health. I think that's a very important point. I'm not in tech, however, I have a perception around it that very often it's almost the technology that comes first and then just by the we're making an app on oh by the way it's almost like the objective of the whole thing is the app rather than what it is that they're doing so i think th thank you for that that um very sound advice in, in, to st start with the problem understand the problem and then the solution will come from it um even even if the solution is not what you think that it quote unquote should be because when you started with a web-based and then went on to an app so thank thank you for that and tell me a little bit about your your experience within the CEO community about becoming a, a venture and and how that went about. Well, I mean, it's been it's been phenomenal actually, and um, and and slightly surprising. We always we're so skeptical. <laughs> we do these things, and then and then it's uh, no, it's brilliant. And so we met an activator on another program. She was our kind of mental coach, I guess, on this other program, and she she recommended us. That we, we take a look at this Shio community and I think what's what we're finding 
is is particularly great is that we've done we've done quite a few accelerator programs when we were younger and they were all geared to our startup and they some of them were incredibly valuable and, and really helped to drive the business but in this sort of scale up phase that we're in there is there does seem to be less support um, around and um and so actually to have found CEO and to be getting, you know, we get coaching once a fortnight to now be connected with this small, the, the, the cohort, the UK cohort for this year. I, I have, a, have a feeling that relationship will just grow and grow as well with our organisations. And, and it's, it's really good because we are facing new challenges. We've just completed a funding round that has been more difficult than perhaps any of the others previously. You know, there are new expectations being made of us personally as well as for the organization and you know we are being scrutinized in different ways as well and and you know we're having to learn how to how to manage all of that and so to have this community that we can actually turn to who can who can understand that I think is, is really important the other thing I, you know I've worked in the engineering world all my career I you know I've been very fortunate that I I I've observed a little bit of sexism, but I've never really experienced any. And I, until until this this job, I think I have never. I've always been in the absolute minority. Any role that I've had, it's either been I've been the only woman, or you know, there's maybe been one other. Um, and and yet I've never I've never had a problem with it. But it has been interesting moving into the leadership role with the company. That for the very first time, I am aware that there is a difference, and it's not always necessarily sexism it's just that because historically businesses tend to be run by men there tend to have been a way of doing things that are perhaps different to the way that women might do things and um yeah that's just been quite an interesting observation and so what's lovely with the CEO community is this is community of phenomenally successful confident articulate women and who who are able to say, well, actually, that the way you're doing it is, is fine, you know, you, you know, and that and that's really that's really back to that normalization. <laughs> and, yeah, learning, learning from yeah, learning from uh, you know from peers. It's it's very powerful. So, talking of the community, do you have a particular ask for the CEO community at the moment? Okay, can I be cheeky and have two? Go for it. <laughs> one is a general one. To anybody, you know, if they are connected to a school, connected to a sixth form or even a university, let them know, let that school, let that, that sixth form know about me too. It is available free to use by, by whoever wants to use it. And we, we have these sort of starter packs that we can ship out to schools who want to go it alone. And, and you know, we've got whole packages of support and things that they can buy into, but... If they just want to do it themselves, they just want to give their young people access to me too. You know, we'd love people to spread the word. So that's one ask. The other more specific ask is that um, at kind of management board level, we we would like to find somebody who maybe an hour a month could give us a bit more financial support. So really looking at governance and strategic thinking on a finance side. So somebody who might have worked as a financial director or CFO, especially somebody who's worked with, with companies of our kind of size, because we're finding that that it is quite, you know, it is quite specialist. People from a from a big from a strong corporate background, they have a certain way of doing things, don't necessarily always apply to a to a small business. Okay, so connections with schools or universities to open the door and be able to send information in to be able to use the app for free. 
And then financial advice and expertise, particularly around governance and strategic thinking, to be able to help you think slightly differently and, and give you some support about an hour a month. Is that is that right? Yeah, I, I'm thinking like a sort of a, a, mentor. a mentor, really. It might not be really an hour, but um, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, well, my, my final question then is the... The venture, the app, it's all about the mental health of young folk. My final question to you is, how do you manage your mental health? How do you keep any kind of balance in your life as you are um, fixing the world's problems around mental health and particularly for, for children? What, is, what are your go-to things for your protecting your own mental health? Yeah, for me personally, so before before founding Me Too, I co-founded a new school, a, a secondary school. And I, you know, I, I, I mean, I often talk about that as being my baby and it's 10 years old now. And, you know, it's, it's definitely in that, you know, young child phase. And I, I let myself become totally absorbed by that project. And, and I'm not, you know, looking back on it, I'm not sure that was particularly healthy. And I was very aware of that when I started Me Too, that although, you know, my, my husband would tell me I don't ever think about anything else, but I am more conscious that there has to, there has to be a bit of a separation. You know, it, 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 is, my, it is my vocation and it is my job, but at the same time, that there has to, you know, I think it's so important to have time off. And I, I love this story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I read this thing that Bill Gates, every year when he was running Microsoft, would take two weeks where he would go into a cabin and be totally disconnected from everybody. And that would allow him to clear his mind and come back with a whole set of fresh thinking. And I'm I am very aware of the danger of becoming too absorbed and that actually not just not just being detrimental to to mental health but also in fact being detrimental to your ability to do a job well and so so i'm, I'm very conscious of that i mean obviously i am still working ridiculously long hours and you know weekends and stuff but i i definitely try and keep every sunday completely free most of saturdays we we tend to go off into the countryside my husband and i and you know camping or whatever but we you know we having these discussions with the team as well and and just trying to make sure that people understand that the need to to manage time and and to have time off i think is, is really important because otherwise it can just become completely overwhelming very solid and great advice to those people listening keep time for yourself we can't do the work that we're doing if we're running on empty ourselves so brilliant yeah exactly i mean i sort of think of it almost like a, a messy desk you know, if you put too much into your brain, it's a bit like having too much on your desk and you can't see anything. And every now and then you just have to clear everything off. And, and, I, and I sort of, I, I feel it's very similar that, that that needs to happen regularly, once a week, once a fortnight, in, in order for you to be able to work at your best and not to, you know, not to damage your own mental health. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much, Ishistin, for, for being here today uh, to talk to us about Me Too, normalising the problem, getting kids to talk about it so that they build these skills and they help each other on this. They can show that empathy and they can uh, be impacted like that. I'm taking away as well that amazing advice in terms of if, uh, if you're wanting to start a new venture, start with the problem, not the solution. Start with the problem and the solution works itself out around that. Those asks that you gave around connections with university and schools and the financial expertise mentoring as well. I'm sure there are going to be people in the community that will be able to help you on that. So 
Thank you very much. And I will end with a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this. You've been listening to the CEO World podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at CEO.world.